So thank you for that. Uh, my name is Derek. If we haven't met, and I get to be the pastor, and, and we are in the book of Hosea. And, and if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Hosea. If you need to look your, in your table of contents, that's just fine. There's never shame in that. And last week, we did kind of a big setup to Hosea. We tried to give some of the context. I, I don't have time this morning to really dig into that. And so if you missed last week's message, I just encourage you to go back, take the 30 minutes or so and, and listen or watch that to kind of get caught up to speed on this, just because there'll be some things we'll talk about today, a little bit that will, will be inferred based on, on last week. And so I don't think you'll be too left behind in any way, uh, but I'd encourage you to do that. And, uh, and you just need to know on the outset, um, Man, it's, it's, it's really fun. I, I'll, I'll say fun to go through this, this last uh, really kind of two weeks for me. And um, it, it's a little, I've been kind of using the, the analogy of reading a book versus watching a movie. And, um, you know, if you read a book of, of something and, and let's, then you go watch the movie, the movie just feels so thin and hollow. It's like, ah, it just feels shallow. Right compared to the depth and the richness. That's what this feels like to me. To try to take Hosea and boil this down into like one message, it, it, it's so rich, it's so deep, it's so meaningful, it's, it, it's so all of those things. And then to me, it feels a little thin coming out and putting this on paper to try to explain this. Now to you, if you haven't spent much time in it, it might feel like, right, that's, um, I'm comparing it to like milk and meat, right? A, a, like a, a milk is nourishing for a baby, right? I'm not calling you baby. But like there, there's a sense, um, it all just feels a little thin. And so uh, we've been, and I really like the idea that for you this week, this last week, read Hosea, spend some time in it, let the Lord have the first voice and let it, right, listen to me through the grid of the Spirit. And I understand after this, you might go, I would encourage you to go back and read Hosea, and you might kind of read it with a little fresh eyes, having a little maybe more context to it. And so maybe later today or tomorrow, before we get into Joel next week, you spend a little bit of time and read through Hosea, and it's like, oh yeah, I didn't catch that, I didn't catch that, oh, that's what's going on. So, um, all right, before we get into it, let's, let me pray quick. So Lord... Thank you for your written word, the holy scriptures that are useful and valuable uh, for wisdom, for everyday life, and for wisdom in salvation, and that it leads us to Jesus. Thank you that uh, you are living and active, and that you are our Jesus, our great counselor, our mighty God, our teacher, our Messiah, uh, our provider, our creator. And so as would you, as we, as we spend time in Hosea this morning, would you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, minds to understand, hearts to receive the word that you would have for us as a body this morning and individually, that we would have wisdom and discernment to see and sense how you are leading Holy Spirit so that we could pay attention to that, receive that, and then obey that. We pray, pray for Trinity Lutheran just down the road, and we thank you for them, Pastor Phil, 
And, and just thanks for all the ways that over the years we've partnered with Trinity, been blessed by Trinity. Hopefully we've been a blessing to them. Um, and so we just pray that you would uh, work in them as I know that they have a heart and a desire to reach this neighborhood. So would you bless them this morning, Lord, and lead them to the truth of the scriptures and of your son, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Hosea 1. Verse 1 tells us right away that Hosea is the author of this book or this letter or he's the one that's giving the prophetic word. And we don't know anything about Hosea other than he's the son of Beery and we don't really know anything about Beery. So we don't really know much about Hosea. Hosea is thought to have been the second, maybe the third uh, prophet or minor prophet written. So it's fairly early. And Hosea is writing to or prophesying to the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. I think we've got a little map up here. And so if you remember last week, we talked about at some point the kingdom was divided into two. A northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Ten tribes went north, also called the kingdom of Israel, sometimes referred to as the uh, kingdom of Ephraim. And the southern kingdom of Judah, with Jerusalem at its capital, was just the remaining two tribes. And so Hosea is prophesying to the north, while Isaiah is prophesying to the kingdom of Judah in the south. And Hosea says that he's prophesying during the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. Look at how Isaiah opens up his book. He says the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So it's the same timeline. Hosea is prophesying to the north. Isaiah is prophesying to the south. And if you wanted to know the timeline of when these were happening... You would read 2 Kings 14 through 20, 2 Chronicles 26 through 32. That's the historical timeline of when these prophecies are taking place. And again, so Isaiah prophesies to the northern kingdom of Israel before then the exile. This is pre-exilic, before the Assyrians had come in to capture and scatter Israel. And certainly before the Babylonians had come and captured Judah. Hosea is unique among the minor prophets because with the exception of Jonah, there, there's very really little uh, historical narrative in the prophets, but there is some in Hosea. We see a story unfold. We see Hosea's life unfold a little bit in this, uh, in this book. And so in chapter 1, God commands in verses 2 and 3, Hosea to go and marry a wife of Hornum. Other translations say a promiscuous woman. Others uh, use the word prostitute. And God often calls his prophets to do some really strange or extreme things. Uh, for example, Isaiah was commanded to walk around naked for three years. Jeremiah was commanded to walk around wearing chains and yokes of wood. And God now tells Hosea to marry a prostitute. And the reason becomes clear as this book unfolds that God is comparing Israel to an unfaithful bride. 
a wife who continually turns to other lovers, while God is the faithful husband who, like Hosea, continues in his steadfast love and faithfulness to his adulterous wife. And Hosea's wife, Gomer, a rather unfortunate name in today's standards, bears him or bears three children. Some have this idea that the first was Hosea's child, that maybe the second two, because Hosea's name isn't attached to those two, that maybe those were born out of adulterous relationships. We don't really know. But Gomer has three children. The first, uh, we read in verses 4 5, she bears him a son named Jezreel. We'll read this. She conceived again, or, uh, and the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel and in the valley of Jezreel. Now, as you imagine, or would imagine, the names of Gomer's children have great significance. And uh, Jezreel is no exception. There's some great history to this name. Jehu was Israel's 10th king. And in 2 Kings 10, we read that Jehu completely wiped out Ahab's lineage. Ahab was the 7th king of Israel. And this slaughter that Jehu wiped out Ahab's lineage happened in the valley of Jezreel. And in response to Jehu's brutality against Ahab's lineage, and in response to the nation's rampant sin, God vowed to bring justice to Jehu, saying, you will only have kings on your throne. Your lineage will only have kings to the fourth generation. And in a piece of poetic justice, the Jezreel Valley was the place where Zechariah, Israel's 14th king, Jehu's fourth generation king of his family, was assassinated. Thus fulfilling God's promise that Jehu's son would sit on the throne of Israel for only four generations. Looking further out, Jezreel is also the place, the valley of Jezreel, where the Assyrians come in and defeat the northern kingdom of Israel. So Jezreel had great significance in that God has Gomer name. His first, their first child, Jezreel, was a, was, a, was a sign that judgment and disaster is coming to the nation of Israel. Gomer has a second child, this time a girl named No Mercy. We will, I will not have mercy on the house of Israel for their unfaithfulness to me. But, God says, I will have mercy on the house of Judah. And we read in 2 Chronicles 32 that after the Assyrians captured Israel they, in the north, they turned their attention to Judah in the south, looking to attack and conquer Judah. But God sends an an angel to stand on behalf of the nation of Judah and defeats the Assyrian army, thus fulfilling this prophecy that God would have mercy on Judah, but not by military means, because God stood on their behalf. And lastly, Gomer conceives and bears another son named Not My People. It's one thing to be scattered And not have God's protection when the Assyrians come. To not have mercy. It's another 
for God to withhold that mercy and give us what we deserve. But it's another thing altogether for God to say, you're not even my people. I don't know you. I'm divorcing you. I'm disowning you. Your behavior and attitude and rebellion has let me, led me to cut you off completely. So I will not have mercy on you on the day of judgment. I will not have compassion on you. I will not protect you when judgment comes. It will be as if I don't even know you. But much like prophetic literature woven in, even in the midst of judgment, we see God's heart come through, shine through for his people. It's as if God just can't not love his people. It's as if God just can't go back on his promises of love and mercy forever. No matter how much his people disobey him, no matter how much his people turn from him, no matter how much his people rebel from him, no matter how hard his people's hearts become, God's love and mercy will always rule and win out in the end. And this is what we come to then in the end of chapter 1, verses 10 through the first verse of chapter 1. Yet, he says, after he says, you will not be my people, he says, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. So in the midst of God saying, I won't have mercy on you, in the end, he says, I will have mercy on you. There is a day coming in which I will gather you together as one nation again, and you will be my people. I will be your God. You will receive mercy. So this is where it's all going, Israel. This is what you need to know, that judgment is coming. I will withhold my mercy. It will be as if I never knew you. But in the midst of that, in in the end of this, where this all goes, is that there is a day coming when I will show you my mercy. You need to remember that. It's almost as this is the beginning. It's almost as if God is saying to the Israelite people through Hosea, I'm about to say some really, really hard things. Again, judgment is coming, but you need to hold on to this truth that in the middle of judgment, right, hang on to this because this is where it will end with my love, with my mercy, with you being my people and I being your God. Then in chapter four, if we jump ahead. Chapter 4, verse 1, we learn a little bit what the big fuss is about. God's big chief, maybe complaint against Israel. Why the prophecy is even coming to the nation of Israel. And we read, hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. The Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There's no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. Where does controversy with you, Israel? I like that word that, that feels ominous for the Lord to say, I have controversy with you. 
The Lord has a dispute, a quarrel, a strife. The Lord has some choice words for you, Israel, because of your behavior, your attitude, your actions. First, Hosea says, there is no faithfulness in the land. The word faithfulness is the Hebrew word emet. Emet means firmness, faithfulness, or truth. It means a sureness, a reliability, a stability. It means divine instruction and true doctrine. What Hosea is saying, or what the Lord is saying to Israel through Hosea, is that there's no truth that you live by. There's no honesty and integrity that binds you. There's no code of conduct that guides your living. And because of that, if we keep reading in verse 2, there's swearing and lying and murdering and stealing and adultery. Your leaders, the Lord says in, verse, in chapter 5, verse 10, move boundaries. So there's no justice, there's no fair play, there's no legal system to appeal to when there is injustice. There's no truth for your people to live by that gives any sense or stability of the land. And it leads to chaos and ruin. Secondly, the Lord says there is no love. The word love is the Hebrew word hesed. Hesed means goodness, kindness, faithfulness, and mercy. It's a faithful love that binds two people together. It's God's covenantal love for his people. And this is what your love is like, he says to Israel. Almost, oh, what can I compare your love like, your faithfulness like, your hesedness like? He says in verse 4, I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 4, What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like a dew that goes early away. Your love so quickly vanishes. It's here, but it's just a vapor, a morning mist that disappears with the slightest amount of sunlight. Just when I think I can count on your love, it's gone with the slightest amount of heat. And because you have no love, no steadfast love, no faithfulness to me, you continually play the whore, turning to and running after other lovers. We read in verse 413, and, and, and you see this idea throughout the prophecy of Hosea. He says, I will not punish your daughters when they play the whore, nor your brides when they commit adultery. For the men ruin themselves and go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes. And a people without understanding shall come to ruin. Oh, that's 4.14. So right, right before then, sorry. Uh, in 13, they sacrifice on the tops of the mountains and burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth because their shade is good. Therefore, your daughters play the whore and your, bride, and your brides, uh, brides commit adultery. Right? They're turning to other things for shade, other things for comfort, other things for security, other things for joy. They're turning to the gods of this world instead of the God of the heavens and the earth, and God calls that adultery. He calls that playing the whore. So there is no truth that guides your conduct. There is no love that keeps you faithful to me. And all because third, he says in chapter four, verse one, there is no knowledge of me. You've forgotten about me. We read in chapter 13, four through six. Chapter 13, four through six. But I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. 
It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But when they had grazed, they became full, they were filled, and their heart was lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me. It's the Lord reminding you them that, that I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt. Remember Egypt, 400 years of slavery, in which you cried out for me, and I came down, and I heard your cry, and I sent you a man named Moses to lead you out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage, and into this land flowing with milk and honey. Remember that, Israelites? I'm the God that did that for you. And when you got there, when you got to the land flowing with milk and honey, you forgot me. Your heart turned to those things and started worshiping and finding value in those things. And your heart became proud and your heart became lifted up and you started finding in the things of this world that I gave you instead of you you went there instead of looking to me and you forgot me. If we go back to chapter two, sorry, we're going to flip around a few different times while we're in here. We read in chapter two, verses seven and eight. He says, she shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but not find them. Then she will, shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. And she did not know in verse 8, uh, chapter 2, verse 8, that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil. And it was I who lavished on her silver and gold. And God had warned them of this. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, when the Israelites were, were out of Egypt, but not yet in the promised land of, flowing, of land flowing with milk and honey, they crossed through the Red Sea, but they're wandering in the wilderness because of their rebellion, their unfaithfulness, their lack of trust in God when God sent in spies, if you remember that story. So they're wandering in the desert for 40 years. And God warns them, and he says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he says, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full... Then take care, be careful, be full of care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. Hosea is living out exactly what the Lord warned them not to do. The Lord, the, right, the Israelites are, was that just real quick, was that, was it in Spanish or English? In Spanish. You need to know that once, okay, time out, right? <laughs> There's a few times you just can't ignore it. I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> we have little RoboVacs that go throughout all week to try to, right? So we don't really vacuum. We try to do RoboVacs. So if you ever are in your chair and there's some breadcrumbs under your chair, it's just because the RoboVacs didn't get there this week. So, uh, so sorry about that. But then we have them plugged in and they charge. And, and so once in a while they turn on and, I don't know, there's a message in, one of them is programmed in Spanish. And so it'll come on and it'll start talking in Spanish. I don't know what it says. Some of you probably know what it says, but... That's what was going on right there. I'm sure I was in the middle of making a really good point. <laughs> I don't really remember. But the Lord is telling the Israelites through Hosea exactly what I warned you about in Deuteronomy 6. It's happened. You've entered into this land. You, you are occupying this promised land. And that's the book of Joshua. They're, they're occupying lands 
this promised land that was occupied by people before. So the Israelites were literally living in houses that they didn't build. They were literally drinking water from cisterns that they didn't, they didn't dig. They're, they're enjoying the, the fruit of the vine that they didn't plant. So don't you start taking credit, Israel, for things that you didn't do. Don't you start saying, look at what my hands have produced. Don't you start saying what wise people we are to have cities like this. Don't you start taking credit for, don't you dare forget who it was that brought you into this land. Don't you forget who it is that's sustaining this land. The Lord is coming against Israel because they forgot God. They forgot who he is and they forgot what he did and they forgot who they are because of what God had done. And God has words for them. God has controversy with them because of that. And he points first at the priests. We read in 4, 4 through 6. Right? The Lord has controversy with the Israelites, but he's aiming his controversy first at the priests. He says, let no one contend and let none accuse, for with you is my contention, O priest. You shall stumble by day, the prophet shall also stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because you, O priest, have rejected knowledge. Therefore, I reject you from being a priest to me. We go one chapter over to chapter 5, verse 1. Hear this, O priests. Pay attention, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king, for the judgment is for you. Whenever God's people forget, whenever God's people go astray, whenever God's people turn their love to another, God always comes first to the leaders of God's people, to the priests, to the prophets, to the kings, to the elders. God always turns his attention there first. To the elders in Acts chapter 20, Paul says this, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Twisted things, twisted teachings will be what will draw people away. And so God charges the elders, pay attention to yourselves and the flock to protect the flock in part by teaching truthful things. Samuel the priest says this before he passed away. He says, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. That's why the apostles pointed deacons in Acts chapter 6, men who had served the church with tasks so that they, they could devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word, instructing people in the right way to go. 
Whenever God's people stray, God first looks to and talks to the leaders of God's people. And because the priests were negligent of their job to pray for, instruct, and lead in the right and good ways, God's people lacked truth. They lacked knowledge. And it led to a lack of love and faithfulness. And they were facing God's judgment because of it. But remember, remember where this is all going. Remember where this ends. Remember where this is leading to. That no matter, no matter your unfaithfulness, Israel, no matter your adultery, no matter your wandering from the truth, no matter the mercy I withhold, no matter the judgment that comes, no matter the break in relationship, there is a day coming when I will, we pick up in chapter 2, verse 14, that I will allure you. When I will speak tenderly to you again. When I will bring you back into relationship with me once more. When I will remove from you those things that cause distractions from our relationship. I will remove those things in which you chase after instead of me. In which you will remember who I am and what I have done. That you will remember this covenant relationship with me. So destruction is coming. The Assyrians are coming, Israel. Judgment is coming. But in the end, I will have mercy on you. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will purchase you back from exile. I will purchase you out of slavery. Not with the things of this world like gold and silver, but with the precious blood of Jesus. There is a day coming when the God looks forward to when his people will be one again after the exile, after judgment, in which they will be his people and he will be their God. And Hosea Hosea concludes then in chapter 14, 14 verse 1, he says, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Find mercy, in chapter 14 continues, find mercy, healing, and love Find rest and flourishing under God's care and in relationship with him. And Hosea ends with verse 9 in chapter 14. He says, whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. So what is the wisdom for us? What is the wisdom that we should gain? What's the discerning truths that we might know so that we could walk in right ways, that we could learn from Hosea? What's our take-home this morning? There's two things, I think, at least. There'll be lots of things, but two things. In 1863, halfway through the Civil War, President Lincoln made an address in which he said this. We, the United States, have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever known. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand that preserved us in peace and multiplied, enriched, and strengthened us and have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own intoxicated by our own unbroken success 
we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God who made us. Last week, it was Sham who, in part of leading us into communion, mentioned this verse from Proverbs 3. Acknowledge God in all your ways. We would do well, NCC, to acknowledge God in all our ways. Abraham Lincoln's quote is as ever true now as it was 150 plus years ago. Too often as Christians, we go about our daily lives too self-sufficient, intoxicated by our self-sufficiency, to feel the necessity of God's redeeming presence in our lives. We're too quick to forget, too quick to have gospel amnesia, And to think that, while yes, God has saved me from my sin, which is a good thing when I die, we forget that the gospel has just as much truth, it's just as good, and just as much power in my life today. That I'm just as dependent on God to live a holy and pleasing life today as I am dependent upon him for my salvation when I die. We too often live as confessional Christians, but functional Christians. Atheists, trusting in God for our salvation, but trusting in ourselves for everything else. Our marriage, our parenting, our success, our future. Acknowledge God and depend on him, trusting him in your life today. You are just as needy for God in the everyday things of life now as you are for your salvation. And secondly, when you forget, and you will forget, be quick to return. When you forget God, when you live as if your life is dependent upon you, when you start giving yourself credit for the good things of your life, thinking, I'm really smart, I'm really responsible, I'm a really hard worker, look at what my hands have provided for myself. I'm really good. I pray a lot. I read the Bible. I go to church every week. I'm a really good person. Man, God's lucky to have me on his team. When you forget and when you start turning to yourself or turning to the things of this world instead of turning to the Lord, when you wake up, when you come to your senses, whether that's after years of forgetting the gospel or whether that's after months, weeks, days, or minutes, be quick to return. Be quick to come back. Hosea ought to be a book that's encouraging to us that no matter the adultery, no matter the turning away, no matter the forgetting, God is the one who's never ending in his love and mercy for his people. So be quick to return. And that's the story of Hosea. A people who play the part of an adulterous wife lacking truth and love because they forgot about their God. But even in their adultery, God's promise of love and mercy wins out as he plays the role of faithful husband. Let's pray. Lord, we just confess, which means we just, we acknowledge, we agree, we admit that you are faithful husband 
who comes after time and 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 time again. An unfaithful bride. And we confess that we are that bride who continually forgets you, who continually takes credit for things that you have done, who continually looks to other lovers to find significance and security, to find joy and happiness, to find in these other lesser gods what we should be looking for and finding in you. And so thank you that in our forgetting, you forgive. And in our repentance, and our coming back, you are not uh, slow to give mercy, but quick to give mercy. We thank you for that. We thank you that just as Hosea purchased Gomer out of slavery, God, you have purchased us with the blood of your son, Jesus, so that whoever would call on you to be saved would have eternal life in this day to come in which you will call your people back to yourself. Thank you that we get to be a part of that number. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.